Good to see you this morning. Felipe Garza was 14 years old when he met 15-year-old Donna Ashlock, and he was in love as much as a 14-year-old can know about love. Nevertheless, he committed himself to pursuing Donna, and Donna liked him, and so they were an item, if you will. But their relationship had a major hindrance going forward. You see, Donna was diagnosed with a weakened heart, a condition that would shorten her life. She was not expected to live many more years unless she could get a heart transplant. And so the two of them dedicated themselves to spending as much time together as possible as long as Donna's heart would allow. And then one day it happened. Felipe had an aneurysm that caused him to be brain dead. His family decided to donate his healthy organs to those who could use them. So Donna was rushed into surgery. She came out, and as she woke up, her dad was sitting the bed next to her, and he informed her of Felipe's unexpected death, and then told her that for someone who needed vision, they donated his eyes. To someone who needed kidneys, they gave his to those who were in need. And she stopped him and she said, uh, I have his heart, don't I? You know what spiritual growth is? Spiritual growth is having the heart of Jesus and living like it. I, I know you know this, but someone died so that you could live. We are all responsible for the death of another human being. What does that mean to us? Do we have the heart of Jesus? Do we live like it? You know, we grasp growth in a physical sense. We understand what that means. But do we grasp it in a spiritual sense? Because all too often, here's what I think we think spiritual growth is. For one, we think that it's gathering spiritual data. Gathering biblical information. It's about knowing the Bible, and certainly that is a great goal. We should know Scripture. We are people of the Word. I'm sure you've heard that statement before, and that is a good thing. That is a noble moniker for us to wear. We know the truth. We stand firm for the truth. As long as we understand that the truth is a who, not a what. This isn't a just about being people of the print. This is about being people of the person. Knowledge is important, but knowledge is not an end in and of itself. The goal is not to gather information about God. The goal is to know God. To the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus said, you examine the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is those very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Knowledge is a means to an end. You gather information so that it leads to transformation. Degrees or initials at the end of your name or having the Bible memorized or being able to quote it in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, all that is fine and good, but if the information doesn't travel the 18 inches to your heart, and become heart application, then I hate to tell you this, but your knowledge is about as useful as a football bat. Secondly, 
we often view spiritual growth and formation as a checklist. Come to worship? Check. Say my prayers? Check. Study the Bible more? Check. Write a check? Check. That's how we view spiritual growth. And certainly, these disciplines are things that we need to be engaging in regularly. No question. However, it's a relationship that we should be fostering, not a checklist. It's a lifestyle to invest in. Along with that, we often view spiritual formation as religious activity. So as long as I keep the plate spinning, as long as I'm moving the ornaments on the tree, as long as I'm rearranging the chairs, then I'm doing something productive. But you know, you can be active, you can be busy and never really accomplish anything. Activity doesn't always equal productivity. The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. And sometimes the best thing that we can do is hit the pause button and just be still. For others, spiritual growth comes down to avoidance. The Christian life is a bunch of thou shalt nots. As long as I'm not doing certain things, I'm doing well. Don't drink, don't cuss, don't run around with women that do. As long as I do that, I'm okay. But that leads to the Christian life being something that is endured rather than enjoyed. And that's not what Jesus had in mind when he said, I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. You also have self-determination when it comes to spiritual growth. That's the people who think, I just got to grip my teeth and pull myself up by the bootstraps, and I'm going to grow whether I like it or not. Regardless of how I feel about it, I know I've got to do this, so I'm just going to grin and bear it. You know, physical growth is hard. It's challenging. But it's enjoyable as well. I mean, we can't wait to turn 16 and get our driver's license, or we can't wait to have our first child, or we can't wait to retire so that we can enjoy life. And it's challenging. We endure it, but it's also enjoyable, or at least it should be. And the same is true with spiritual growth. I mean, it's challenging, but we should enjoy it as well. It's not about gritting your teeth and pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. It may be that sometimes. But more than anything, it's about being vulnerable to God. Let God work on you, be receptive to His Spirit, and allowing His Spirit to lead you and fill you. And it must be noted that spiritual growth is not passive. So while it's not just about gritting your teeth and pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, while it's not just about more religious activity, it isn't passive, meaning that you don't just pray for God to grow you and just sit back and let Him sprinkle magical pixie dust on you, and then it just occur overnight. You are co-opting with God. This is a partnership with God. That's what a covenant is. It's a dramatic change that Paul describes beautifully in the signature passage for our series, Galatians 2.20, which reads, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So, that's it. That's what spiritual growth is not. So the question is, what is it then? Or better yet, how do I live it? Well, I think we have to understand that spiritual growth doesn't just happen. Physical growth does. Unless you have some sort of health malady or abnormality, you're going to grow physically whether you want to or not. Spiritually is not the case, though. You've got to be determined to do this. And there are certain things that we have to uh, allow in order for spiritual growth to occur. As I said, it's not passive. You know, as kids, we're often asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the typical responses are a policeman, a fireman, a, you know, a doctor. How about a professional cuddler? Do you know that's a job? I was reading about that this week. 
that you can actually be a professional cuddler. And it's just like what it sounds. People who need a hug or need to cuddle, they call on you and you can make sometimes $40,000 a year to upwards of $100,000 a year. In fact, they are opening up cuddle cafes all across the globe where people can come in and just get a warm embrace when they need it, along with some coffee. Now, they even have a cuddler's convention, which I assume is where a bunch of cuddlers get together and conversate about cuddling. I don't know, but it is a job. Or you could be a taste tester for Ben and Jerry's. These folks make a pretty good salary as well, sometimes $40,000, $60,000 a year. And their job is to take these concoctions that Ben and Jerry has come up with, you taste them over and over again, you go through the process of mixing flavors and tasting them to see if they meet the standard. It's a very unhealthy job, but you wouldn't be unhappy, would you? Or you could be a professional Netflix watcher. That's a job, that's a real job. Makes like $20,000 a year. You sit on your couch all day and, and you make money watching Netflix. And some of you are thinking, well, I'm doing that now and I don't get paid for it, but anyway. If you've ever wondered how Netflix knows your preferences, what you might like, it's these people who sit there and they review content and they come up with the nuanced ways in order to hit you between the eyes with what they think you want to see. So next time, next time our young people get asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, I, I would encourage you to say a professional cuddler and see what the teacher says or the adult says. <laughs> I want to ask you that question this morning. What do you want to be when you grow up? In a spiritual sense, what do you want to be? That's a question that should be on our minds and our hearts. What do we want to be when we grow up? Peter stated it this way. He said, and like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Long for it, Peter says. You've got to want this. Your version may say crave. Either way, this is something that you have to be intentional about. But as I've said before, you've got to know what it is you're craving. Because chances are you've heard sermon after sermon on spiritual growth. Maybe you've read blogs or, or books about it. But at the end of the day, what is it that we should be seeking? What is it we should be striving for? We know it's necessary, but you know, you've probably noticed that a lot of times the answer is rather vague. What does it mean? Well, I'm going to give you the answer this morning. Spiritual growth is this. It's about having more of Jesus manifested in less of me. That's it. More of him, less of me. That's John 3 and 30, isn't it? I must increase, or I must decrease so he can increase. Expression of more of him through less of me. Now, we've talked about it in previous lessons in this series, that while that's a good goal, there's got to be a system or a process in place in order to accomplish it. So it's not just about results, it's not just about outcomes, it's about our identity, like we mentioned last week, it's all about relationship. So if spiritual growth is a more of an expression of Christ through less of me, then I can't get there without an identity that is lost in Jesus and a relationship that is defined by Jesus. Jesus said it himself, apart from me, you can do nothing. And then in John chapter 5, verse 30, he said, I can do nothing on my own initiative. That's it right there. That is the summation, perfectly, of spiritual growth. It's about more of Him expressed through less of me. I can do nothing on my own initiative. It's all about Him, okay? Progressively learning to let Christ live through you can only happen in relationship. As we talked about last week, John chapter 15, it's all about abiding. 
Abide in him, he abides in you. Good connection, good fruit. Bad connection, bad fruit. When you love someone, when you truly love someone and you are invested in a deep personal relationship with them, you do things for them that you would not do otherwise for any other person. It reminds me of the story of the woman who married a very hard man a very difficult man. He was a first-class, a number one jerk. That's the only way you could put it. He was abusive, both physically at times, but mainly mentally, verbally. He had a list for his wife to accomplish every single day. And if she didn't accomplish everything on that list, he became very, very angry. And the things on the list included stuff like uh, having breakfast for him when he got up in the morning, having his slippers and newspaper ready for him when he got home with supper soon to follow, keeping the house immaculate, She was more of a slave than a spouse. One day, her difficult husband passed away from a massive heart attack. She was obviously distraught, but somewhat relieved as well. And after a few years, she found another man, a man who treated her like royalty. She never knew she could be treated so well. They got married, and one day she's cleaning house, and she finds that list that her former husband had made up for her. And she became overcome with emotion as she read through it and remembered how hard of a man that he was. And then she realized that she was currently doing everything on that list for her new husband. The difference, of course, was she was doing it out of love rather than out of obligation or fear. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. When we abide in relationship with the one who died for us, we follow the rules, not out of obligation, but out of love and appreciation. So I ask you again, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, be a rule follower, that's great. Certainly that's a good thing. Except, why do you follow the rules? What's the impetus behind it? Because there's something bigger and better. Grow up to be like Jesus. Set your sights on being in him, having more of him expressed through less of you, and the rules will follow. Look with me at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grace and knowledge. That is the key to spiritual growth. Right there. Those two ingredients. And you say, Chris, is that, it's that simple? That's all there is? Yeah, it's that simple. Grace and knowledge. Those are the two main ingredients for spiritual growth. Christians often zero in on the knowledge part. We're pretty good at that. We are people of the word. And we think the more I study the Bible, the more I memorize it, the more I can quote it, the more impressive a disciple I will be, the more that God will be pleased with me. And we place a lot of emphasis on knowledge. And to a certain degree, that is a good thing. However, it must be admitted that we can store up knowledge and we can have all this information locked away in our head and it never make a difference in the way we act, the way that we behave in society. Being puffed up and having a big head full of knowledge means nothing if that knowledge doesn't translate into action. It's not about information, it's about transformation. That's not my take, that's Jesus' take. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized 
through Jesus Christ. You go over to John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth is not a what. It's a who. The truth is not merely doctrine. If it was, then Jesus would not have had to die. It's not just about what you know, it's who you know. Is your life dedicated to knowing more about Jesus? Because the more you know about him, the closer you're going to draw to him, the more you're going to experience his grace, and the more you're going to grow. No truth. The more you know about Jesus, the more you know about grace. You can't grow in grace without knowledge of the giver. And you can't grow in knowledge without the grace of the giver. The more you know, the more you grow. Peter connects head knowledge with heart knowledge. But then look at what Paul does in Romans chapter 10. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Paul says they're, they're zealous, they're, they're passionate, they're amped, they're stoked about God, at least about the knowledge of Him, but that knowledge never translated into action. It stayed locked away in their brain and it never traveled that 18 inches to their heart and expressed itself in godly action. It's interesting that the word for knowledge here is, is gnosis. That's the primary Greek word used for knowledge. Paul doesn't use that word. Paul uses the word epinosis, which refers to heart knowledge. It refers to knowing something and then expressing it in the way that you live. These folks lacked heart knowledge because they didn't trust in the righteousness of God. They trusted in their own righteousness, and they tried to do it on their own. But knowledge alone doesn't change who you are. Grace coupled with knowledge does, which is why those are the two lasting ingredients for, for spiritual growth. Grace and truth, grace and knowledge. You know, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I know you know that, but how does that change you? How does that knowledge change you? The fact that we are sinners and that we're not struck dead immediately by God, you know what that's a testament to? You know that you woke up this morning and you were able to come to church, you know what that's a testament to? The fact that the sun came up this morning, you know what that points to? The fact that the sun, you know, at least we assume is going to go down tonight if it does, and you get to go to bed and get up and do your daily routine all over again, you know what that's a testament to? Grace. God's grace. The fact that you can sit here this morning and draw breath, that is a testament to God's grace. Even people who are outside of Christ, those who are outside the kingdom, even people who care nothing about God, the atheist, whoever it is, they are a beneficiary of God's grace because they're given one more day, one more opportunity. And the fact that you get to be here right now at this time is a testament to God's grace. You have one more opportunity to learn about him, to apply it to your life, to draw closer to him. You know, I think some Christians are fearful of emphasizing grace too much. Folks, listen to me. You cannot emphasize grace too much. You can't. You can't go too heavy on grace. Now, you got to know what kind of grace you're talking about because that gets kind of perverted and polluted in the world around us. Grace, as we read about in Scripture, 
means everything. You can't, you can't emphasize it too much. You can't put too much emphasis on it. We should be people of grace. This should be the church of grace. The world around us should get a front row seat to grace when they come in here. It's who we are. It's what we're about. We should be a people who exude grace. We should be world famous for our grace. But again, what happens all too often is that Christians get uncomfortable with grace. And when we get uncomfortable with grace, guess what we default to? Law. Because we like rules. We like the knowledge. We, we like knowing what God said. And so we stand firm on that. You know, God loves you. Yeah, but you got to follow the rules. Okay, yes, I understand that. But when we get a little uncomfortable with grace, when we tend to think that somebody's taking it too far, we default to law. Because that's where we're comfortable. Law makes us feel like, you know, we're staying within the boundaries. God's pleased with us. Obedience, of course, is vitally important. Don't get me wrong. However, what's more important is the relationship and understanding what is the impetus behind the rules. Obedience is important. What's most important is why you're doing the things that you're doing. You know, we talked about it last Sunday night. We often want to ask the question, will this send me to hell? What's the what's the What's the test going to be like? You know, what's on the test? What's, what's, what do I have to know in order to get to heaven? And that's the wrong question. It's not a biblical question. The best question is, what glorifies God? I don't want to disappoint God. I want to make Him proud. It's not just about avoiding certain things so I don't go to hell. It's about what glorifies Him. His glorification is my passion. I want to glorify Him in everything I do. I love Him. I don't want to disappoint Him. I don't want to hurt Him. I don't want to harm the relationship. And therefore, what glorifies Him? What makes Him proud? What, what deepens the relationship? His passion is my, is my well-being. To be with Him in heaven someday. And my passion is His glorification. I want what He wants. I want to be on the same page with Him. I want to glorify Him in everything that I do. Here's the thing about spiritual growth that is so simple that I think we so often miss, and it's this. Spiritual growth is about life. It's about life. Growth occurs where there's life. If you want to grow, there's got to be life. The issue of growth is living. Everything that facilitates life is for life. I mean, is it any wonder that Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly? And of course, he's not talking about fame and fortune. He's talking about relationship. That abundant life is found in Christ. So if you want to grow, then live. If you want to grow, live. Live for Jesus. You see, God wants to go public. God wants to go public, and he wants you to be the agency by which he does that. God wants to go public, and he, you're the one that can make that happen. So my greatest goal should be his greatest glory. It's why I was created, to glorify God. So we need to, to get on the same page with God and read from the same script. What are you living for? What do you want to be when you grow up? If it's not to be more like Jesus and live for God's glory, then, then you're not growing. But when you live for his glory, you experience his goodness and you enjoy the abundant life. You know, I think where we get off track sometimes is we tend to turn the Bible into some sort of devotional handbook. And, and we can read the Bible devotionally. I mean, that's okay at times, but that's not the major takeaway. You see it on social media all the time. Uh, you know, these, this bumper sticker theology. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
I know the plans that God has for me. You know, God's going to make a, make a wonder, a miracle out of this mess. And, and we get spiritual growth wrong because we always point the relationship back at us. We've got to orient it towards Him. That's what life is about. That's what growth is about. We don't grow because we point the relationship in the wrong direction. This is about God and His glory. Orient your life toward Him. Make a big deal about Him. Make His agenda your agenda. Be sure that you're promoting Him and not just you. And I would also say this. We often make spiritual growth about more spiritual discipline. So I just, I, I, I got to do more. And, and there is some truth to that. I'm all for more when it comes to studying the Bible more, um, praying more, coming to church more, whatever the, the discipline is. I'm, I'm all for more. And, and there are some of us that need to do more. I know I do. But it's not just about spiritual activity. It's not just about praying more, studying the Bible more. Again, this isn't just about knowledge. It's about relationship. If you're not reading your Bible, that's a problem. If you're not praying, that's a problem. If you're not attending worship, that, that could be a problem. Ultimately, there are disciplines that we need to be engaged in because that's part of the system that affects the goal that we've talked about. However, these things are part of the process that feeds growth, that feeds the relationship. You've got to get to know Jesus. If you're serious about growth, then the driving force must be a life relationship. You see, I'm looking to Him to make it happen. That's grace. And I'm going to learn all I can in order to please Him. That's knowledge. And that knowledge doesn't stay trapped up here. That knowledge moves the 18 inches to my heart and expresses itself in the way that I live. I have the heart of Jesus, and I live like it. You know, imagine that I say to you that I love my wife. And you say, why? Why do you love your wife? And I say, because of apple pie and shoulder massages. And you say, well... Yeah, that's good, but why else? And I say, nothing else. There's nothing else. I, I love her because of apple pie and shoulder massages. If you ever had her apple pie, you'd understand. She gives great shoulder massages as well. And, and you say, well, there's got to be more, Chris. I mean, there's got to be other reasons why you love your wife. No, mm -mm. that's it. Apple pie, shoulder massages. What would you think about me and my love for my wife? Well, you would think that I don't really love my wife because she's not the object of my affection. She's merely a facilitator. Why do you love God? Because he blesses you? You know, I've got a great family. Praise Jesus. You know, I've, got a, I've got a great job. God is good. I hear that all the time when things are going good. I rarely hear God is good when things aren't going good. Won the tennis match. God is good. Is that the only reason we love God? If you only love God because of what he's done for you, then let me tell you something. He's not the object of your affection. He's merely a facilitator. How's your relationship? Is your biggest passion his glory? Because spiritual growth is about life. It's about living a life in pursuit of one thing. Glorifying God in all that you do.
It's about more of him being expressed through less of me. And if we can help you get there, we want to do that. We want to pray with you, study with you, help you along the way. Whatever it takes to get you to the place where you feel like you are living a life for him and thus growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then let's take care of that. He is not merely a facilitator. He is the object of everything you are and everything that you do. He is your pursuit and the reason why you are here, the reason why you leave here and live the life that you do. If that's not describing your relationship with him, let us help you get there. Kevin's going to lead us in a song. Come as we stand and as we sing.